0: It's inspiring to hear Doug and Megan, their journey by faith to go and serve, connect with, bless, learn from people in Ukraine right now. And you probably watch the news and hear different places and different situations, different tragedies. I was watching in Pakistan this week, and there were almost 20 churches that were being devastated in Pakistan, and many homes. Christians are being persecuted severely in that country. Or maybe for you it's Maui, and seeing the devastation there, and just thinking through the restoration in what's gonna be needed. I want to encourage you that when we hear of these different situations that we enter in, we engage, we continue to pray, and then also we give God access to our lives. And for some, it might mean going, like Doug and Megan, to Ukraine. Some in this room might go to Maui to help out, or some might even go to Pakistan. We've had a ministry there the last several years online and connected with a lot of people. However God leads you, it could be to give, to go, to send, to mobilize other people. It could be to welcome people from those places. There's so many refugees that come in and really need love and hospitality. Just stay open to what God wants to do. We're the hands and feet of Jesus together in God's love for the nations. We want to be active in participating, and we're not Taking the narrative that we're helpless and hopeless. We wanna step up together and continue to do that. As the Lord leads us, God gives the vision, God gives the provision, and we're gonna trust God and continue to pray for these dear brothers and sisters around the world. Today, we're continuing in our series, Refresh, because nothing's more refreshing than God's presence. And the Psalms guide us into God's presence. We don't just learn about God, we draw near to God. And in God's presence, that's where we find we shift into God's perspective. And then we receive God's peace and his power in our lives. It begins with his presence and we're seeking his presence. Today we're in Psalm 97, the Lord reigns. Psalm 97, you can turn there if you brought a Bible or find it on your phone. If you're not in a life group, that's a great way during the week to also get into the same passage. Psalm 97, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we lift up people who are hurting today. God, we think of Ukraine and Pakistan and Maui and so many are grieving. We pray, God, that you would comfort them and we pray too, Lord, that we would do whatever you've called us to do. And God, as we draw near to you now, we're listening God, we wanna worship you by surrendering. We bring our lives, we trust you. Have your way in this place right now, God. And we seek you together sincerely. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. One of the benefits of spending time in the Psalms is that the Psalms shift our focus. It's very easy during the day or during the week to focus on us. And the Psalms help us to focus on God. It's easy to focus on our sins, our strife, our obstacles, our challenges. It's really easy to get consumed and distracted with the things of the world. And instead, the Psalms redirect us to be focused on God. You will be vibrant spiritually when your life is centered on God. If you are centered on yourself and self-consumed, you will not be alive and vibrant spiritually. So how are you doing today? Would you say if someone said, asked you, how are you doing with God? Would you say vibrant, it's alive, like it's exciting, it's close with God? And what would be your response? That might be your desire. It might be more aspirational today. God is here We can draw near to God, he'll always draw near to us and God wants to do a fresh work in our lives. This message is really looking at how do we become vibrant spiritually and yes, we can, 24 seven, abide with Jesus. Here's the first one, the key to life is knowing the one who's on the throne. If someone asked you, what's the key to life? That's most important. You'd have some things you might share, some advice but the key to life is really knowing the one, the only one, who's on the throne. Psalm 97, verse one, the Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. Let distant shores rejoice. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and consumes his foes on every side. His lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The Lord reigns. The declaration, that's throughout the Psalms, the Lord reigns, Psalm 47, the Lord reigns. Psalm 93, the Lord reigns. Psalm 96, the Lord reigns. Psalm 99, the Lord reigns. Psalm 146, the Lord reigns. It is the echo throughout scripture and it is the echo throughout heaven and eternity. A million years from today, it will be declared and we will say out loud, the Lord reigns. He is at the center. He is on the throne. Well, what does that mean? That means that God's doing well. It means that God's unrivaled, God knows everything, God is in control, God has the final say, God keeps his promises, God's plan prevails, and God is worthy. We've already been singing today, he's worthy of it all. When we look at the description in these verses, we read about clouds and thick darkness. That's not just in Psalm 97, but in Deuteronomy, Ezekiel, also Jeremiah, Joel, Amos, and Zephaniah, Clouds, darkness. What does this imagery mean? It is a metaphor, and the imagery points that God is the judge. God has a foundation of righteousness and justice. He is benevolent, kind, he is gracious, and merciful, and he's also the judge who brings justice. Some of the justice is seen through fire and lightning, again, throughout Scripture. Sodom and Gomorrah, we see the fire and the lightning. Elijah, Mount Carmel, we see the fire from heaven burn the sacrifice. Those who are approaching Elijah, we see the fire. The two messengers in the book of Revelation call down fire. And in Revelation chapter 20, verse 9, there's some crazy stuff that happens the closer we get to Jesus' return. And in the later days, they marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. God's supernatural power. Mountains melt. When you think about Mount Rainier, it is inspiring and impressive. Creation points us to the creator. You've probably been enjoying Mount Rainier this summer. How many have drawn close to Mount Rainier? And this summer, not just from a couple hours away, but yeah, a lot of hands. It's a great time to go to Mount Rainier. We drove close to Mount Rainier and just looking at it, speechless. Right? There's a sense of awe. It's inspiring from a distance, but the majesty from up close. Mount Rainier doesn't disappoint the closer you get. If you haven't been there, let me just tell you. Well, God inspires us from a distance, but God doesn't disappoint the closer we get. And his majesty in power, mountains melt. The Lord surrounds his people like mountains around Jerusalem. He surrounds us. Also, mountains then and now were seen as strength, stability, solid, massive. How could a mountain just melt? The scripture says, faith is small as a mustard seed. You can tell this mountain to move and it'll move. Mount Rainier, how would that just melt? With one word, God could just melt Mount Rainier. If you think Mount Rainier's impressive, God could level Mount Rainier faster than you can level anything around you. With one word, it points to his supernatural power and majesty. Will you say, how do we walk with the God who can melt and move mountains? And sometimes we walk too big. We're kind of full of ourselves. Our opinions, our agendas, our ego, our reputation, our appearance, we just walk around too big. Like everything's centered around us. We're consumed with ourselves, drunk on ourselves in this culture, and so often we walk around with a big head like we know more than God. And God humbles us. Ecclesiastes chapter five, verses one and two. We looked at this at our prayer gathering. If you wanna come to one of the prayer gatherings, Sunday here at eight, Monday here at noon, Thursday morning, Saturday online, there's a lot of prayer groups. This was our focus in prayer this week. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know what they are doing wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. kind of ironic to preach and refer to that verse right now. I feel like we should just take some silence. The Bible says when you pray, you don't have to keep on babbling as if it all depended on your words and word count. You can pray with just a couple words. God's greatness humbles us. Sometimes we walk too big and God brings correction and discipline and he humbles us. Sometimes we walk too small and we feel so defeated, so worthless, like we have no value or purpose and God lifts us up. God reminds us that we are all wonderfully made. We are made in his image. None of us are an accident. God loves people from every nation, time and Tribe and tongue, you are gifted, you have a purpose. God is with you, God is for you. If God is for you, who can be against you? And God helps those who are too small to find their security and strength in God. None of us wanna walk too big, none of us wanna walk too small. We just walk together with God humbly, love mercy, love our neighbors, follow Jesus, abide with him. That's what this psalm lays out. And a fresh vision of God. Moses needed a fresh vision of God because first he was too big and then he was too small. And then there was a voice and the bush kept burning and the voice was God's voice. God said, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. And he said, his name is I Am. I Am. God always was. God always is. God is self-sufficient. God is at the center. I Am. He is the great I Am. Isaiah had a vision of God. Holy, holy, holy. God couldn't be more perfect or pure or holy. And Isaiah just looked down and touched my lips. I'm a man of unclean lips in your presence. Mary had a vision of Jesus, he's risen. Her declaration that Jesus is risen. Stephen was being killed and he had a fresh vision of Jesus at the right hand of the Father. When you think about Peter, Peter talked about Jesus and a vision of Jesus' return. John, who wrote the book of Revelation, he looked forward and said, Jesus is going to return, a new heaven, and new earth. He's going to rule and reign. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. All of these pictures and scripture that are revealed to us, why? So that we will draw near with devotion and affection and give him praise because he's worthy. Yeah. Let scripture stir your heart to know God. In so many languages, there's two words, to know. In English, we just say to know. But in Spanish, solamente hablo un poco, pero me gusta practicar. Uh, there's saber and conocer. I just said I don't know a lot of Spanish, but it's, it's, it's fun to practice. Uh, I know this, there's conocer and saber. Conocer, some of you are like, was he speaking in tongues this Sunday? <laughs> I, I, I'm just practicing Spanish up here is what's going on. Uh, Konoser is to know about, but saber is to really know. You can know about God, and that's good. That's a starting point, konoser. But this relationship with God is not a formula, and it's just not a bunch of principles. It's when you start to go beyond konoser, and you know God. To know with saber is intimately, closely. This relationship, that's when your soul comes alive. When you really know God. The Apostle Paul said, I wanna know Christ and the power of his resurrection, share in the fellowship of his sufferings. Everything else in this world, it looks so bleak to me compared to knowing Christ. I would gladly give up my money, my job, my clothes, my house. I would give up anything to know Christ more. He's not just writing scripture like, oh, this might sound nice. It's the cry of his heart. It's the cry in the Psalms. Like, I wanna know God. That's where I come alive, in his presence. I want to abide with him. Well, it takes discernment because in every culture from then until now, there's false gods and there's the real God. And this is helpful in Psalm 97 because there's a contrast. Contrasts make it clear. And the difference between all false gods and the real God. In verse six, the heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all the peoples see his glory. All who worship images are put to shame. Those who boast in idols worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and rejoices, and the villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are the most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. False gods are no gods at all. They are a perception of a God. They are an illusion of a God. This is deception that they are real and that they are God. They they are not God. They never will be God. And it's really important to know what the false gods are in the times we're living in. And as you read through the book of Jeremiah, I wanna take some time to read chapter 10 because Jeremiah is a prophet who saw the people in the land going from the real God to all the idols. In the land, And he would call them back with tears and he would call them back and there'd be threats and he would call them back and he'd be beaten and he just continued even though there wasn't a lot of fruit continued to tell people come home to the real God your creator your maker the one who loves you is faithful keeps his covenant come home and he's contrasting the false gods and the idols with the real God Jeremiah chapter 10 starting in verse 3. For the customs of the peoples are worthless. They cut a tree out of the forest and a craftsman shapes it with his chisel. They adorn it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails so it will not totter. If you're building something, that's not God. If you gotta put some nails on something so it doesn't fall over, that's probably not gonna be your God. But in that culture... That's what was happening. Their gods were falling over. They were trying to figure out how to hold them up. Like a scarecrow in a melon patch, their idols cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them. They can do no harm, nor can they do any good. No one is like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is mighty in power. Who should not revere you, O king of the nations? This is your due, Among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is no one like you. They are all senseless and foolish. They are taught by worthless wooden idols. Hammered silver is brought from Tarshish and gold from Euphrates. What the craftsmen and goldsmith have made is then dressed in blue and purple, and all made by skilled workers. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God, the eternal King. When He is angry, The earth trembles. The nations cannot endure his wrath. Tell them this. These gods who did not make the heaven and the earth will perish from the earth and from under the heavens. But God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom. He stretched out the heavens by his understanding When he thunders, the waters in the heavens roar. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. Everyone is senseless and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is shamed by his idols. His images are a fraud. They have no breath in them. They are worthless, the objects of mockery. When judgment comes, they will perish. He who is the portion of Jacob is not like these, for he is the maker of all things, including Israel, the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord Almighty is his name. As you hear Jeremiah chapter 10, may we search our hearts. Say, God, is there anything in my life, someone or something that I'm valuing right now as more important than you? Are there any idols in my heart that I'm chasing and worshiping and elevating above you, oh God, then I repent right now and I return to you to give you my loyalty and my devotion. I wanna remove idols today to give you my praise that you would have your way in my life. And the sound in the room is just a smashing of idols, many invisible, but in our hearts, the worship that is honoring to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The Lord reigns. He reigns above all idols, possessions, people, nations, the devil, demons. He reigns. There's superpowers that rise up, nations, military, that rises up. Greece, in, in biblical times, superpower, a couple hundred years. The Romans, uh, almost nine centuries. Right now, the US, God's given us a lot of influence and platform. Well, how long is that going to last? We don't know. We don't know. Nations rise and nations fall. One thing we do know is that the very best thing we could do is turn from our sin, humble ourselves, give God praise, and declare the Lord reigns in our hearts and in our homes, the Lord reigns. In this church, the Lord reigns. And that this would resonate and renew and stir revival that the Lord reigns. If we don't repent, there's no revival. You can't hold on to idols and have an awesome revival. We return to God. And that was the call in that generation. It's the call in our nation right now. And, You know, the exclamation point here that you see in verse seven, it's a little bit of trash talking. You say, well, is there some trash talking in the Bible? Yes, this is just one example. There is a lot of trash talking in the Bible, but worship him, all you gods. All you mighty idols, so-called mighty idols, fall down and worship the real God with some bite, with some strength. All idols are frauds. They're not worthy. Time will tell, judgment will tell, God will reveal. Emptiness is what happens if you worship idols. You won't be full and vibrant spiritually. Idols are wrong and they always lead to shame. Here's the difference, the faithful God removes shame. Idols bring shame. If you have idols in your own life, including yourself, if that's your focus or your performance, if you have idols in your life, idols lead to shame. A performance-based life leads to shame. But our God, this is a grace-based life with God. Our God removes shame, removes guilt. His grace is greater than our sins. He restores and you come alive. You step out of shame. Religion, dead religion brings shame. Our God brings renewal. He's the faithful God. Unapproachable holiness and unfathomable grace. And you try to deny one or the other and you can't. You say, well, God, stop being holy because I'm not holy, and how would you ever accept me? Well, he's not gonna stop being holy. You say, well, then God, just push me away because how could you ever love me? Well, he does love you, and his grace is greater than our rebellion. He's holy, he's gracious, that's who God is. Spurgeon says it this way. We must meditate on God's attributes and consider his majesty. For he is not only infinitely powerful, wise, all-sufficient, and glorious, but he is also supremely good. His character is matchless. He is a pure and holy God whom we worship. It would and should be the greatest pleasure to serve him. The angels will tell you this. What a privilege it is to be able to serve God. What joy there is to be close with God to bring him glory. That's when you're gonna come alive. The more glory you bring him, the more you come alive. You're designed to bring God glory and praise. That's who you are. You're wonderfully made. You're special. You bring him glory different than other people. It's wonderful. Hebrews chapter four encourages us to go to this throne, God's throne of grace. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, this is Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, fully God, fully human, high priest, interceding for us. Because of that, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. What's the conclusion? Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Go to God's throne of grace and have a moment with God. Scripture's designed to lead us to God's presence. Scripture guides us not just to learn about God, but to know God. Today, right now, God's throne is open. Anyone can come boldly because of his grace and have a moment with God right now, right now with God. Say, what does that look like? Why is that important? One moment with Jesus can change everything. One moment can change everything. There was a man, Nicodemus, everyone thought he had it all together, spiritually, morally, his position, his prestige. People respected him in the community. What they didn't know is on the inside, he had some emptiness, There's some people in the room right now that look really good on the outside. And until it's laid bare, people have no clue the emptiness you've got on the inside. And you're kind of religious, you're trying to be moral, but you've got that emptiness. And Jesus pulled them aside. Nicodemus, you're not born again. For God so loved the world that he gave his one only son, whoever believes in him, belief, not earning, will not perish, but have eternal life. Nicodemus, be born again. Let Jesus in, religion isn't enough. Well, there's another woman at the well and she's gone from husband to husband to husband to husband to husband. Like you could lose count of how many husbands she's had. Just think of all that brokenness, all that rejection, how many people looked down upon her. She felt overlooked. Her story, is <laughs> probably over. Jesus shows up. Jesus says, I know your soul's thirsty. I have living water. She's at a well to get physical water. One conversation with Jesus, she's vibrant, vibrant you might think, well, I've blown it this time, this time, this time, this time, this time. They've all been the same thing and you can have living water right now. Zacchaeus was so stingy and selfish. I mean, try to get a gift from Zacchaeus. He'll probably twist it and like, you'll end up paying him for the gift twice. I mean, this guy, he's smooth. He's a manipulator. He's got some scams. He takes advantage of everyone until one day when he's got a lot of money but he's, again, hurting, and what happens? Jesus shows up, Jesus spends a day with Nicodemus at his house, you know what happens? His heart changes. The law doesn't change our heart, but the love of God does, and and you know what happens with Zacchaeus? He went from the stingiest to the most generous. He started looking around, paying back everyone that he ripped off, and then he's like, I gotta go so far beyond this, Who who in our town doesn't have some money? Like, I'm giving, like, here's half my paycheck. Imagine if you're sitting next to someone who's kind of stingy, and you all of a sudden this week are like, what's going on? Like, this is the kind of person who thought like a $10 Starbucks card, like they should be thanked years for that, right? (laughs) And, and, And all of a sudden, like, what happens? Like they've got hundreds of gift cards and they're just like giving them to people to eat. They're like putting people up who don't have a home in a hotel. They're having like everyone over to their house. They don't have to pay a penny. Like they just become so generous and you're like, what just happened? The love of God changes hearts. One moment, there, there's a woman who had an issue of bleeding for years, no relief. And she realized if I just get close to Jesus, Jesus wasn't even looking at her. She just said, if I just touch the hem of his garment, God moves, God has power. God healed her. One moment, one touch. There's no limits to what Jesus can do. Have that moment with God right now. Have that moment today. Why? Because one moment leads to a next moment. And that leads to the next moment. It's kind of like those chemicals they put on Dorito chips. (laughs) You say, let me just have one of those cool ranch. And it goes, crunch, crunch and those chemicals start to do whatever they do in your taste buds, and you're just like, there's no way I'm just stopping with one Cool Ranch bite. Maybe for you it's nacho cheese, maybe for you it's chocolate chip cookies, but there are just some things that happen in food when they interact with our tongue, we're just like, there's no way I'm stopping with one chip. And and you're gonna have a moment with God and taste and see that the Lord is good, and you're like, there's no way I'm gonna stop at this point, that tasted far too good. And it becomes a habit, and then it becomes a lifestyle, and then pretty soon, the people who know you well, they're like, you're getting up a little earlier. Like, you, your morning looks different. Your attitude's different. Like, you talk different. Like, you respond to me different. Like, what is going on? And you look at the life of Jesus, and what did he do? It was so good to be with the Father that he would get away early in the morning, Quiet place, no people around, before all the needs and all the people and all the action and all the agendas and everyone who had a plan for his life. He only wanted one plan and it was the Father's plan. And the only way that he would hear that plan and be faithful in that plan is to listen and enjoy the presence and go to the throne of his Father and connect with his Father, And as you look at the life of Jesus, it shifts the way we do the mornings. It shifts the way we do intimacy with God because you're like, that's exactly what I need. That's exactly where I need to be. That's exactly what's been missing in my life. Whether it's been shame or guilt, I've just stayed away. Whether it's been idols, I've stayed away. Whether it's excuses, I've stayed away. But the place that I really need to go to be fresh is in God's presence. That's where I need to be that's where I need to go. And when you do that, God renews your life. And you wake up in the morning and after spending time with God, initially you're thinking, I've got to impress people. I've got to impress people. The way I do my work, the way I look, the way I talk, I sound intelligent, my solutions, I've got to impress people. And then when you spend time with God, you realize I'm just here to bless people. I don't need to impress people. That's not my purpose. I'm here to bless people. And your day is totally different, isn't it? God does that. Uh, Well, what's our response? This is how the psalm ends, starting in verse 10. Let those who love the Lord hate evil, for he guards the lives of his faithful ones and delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is shed upon the righteous and joy on the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous and praise his holy name. Move lies out of the way and let his gladness fill your soul. A theme in Psalm 97, his joy, rejoice, gladness, goodness, joy, gladness, goodness, rejoice. You can't miss it. Well, how does that work? You, you move the lies out of the way and you make room for God in your life. Because the Lord reigns, you don't have to have despair today. Because the Lord reigns, you don't have to worry today about anything. Nothing. Because the Lord reigns, you don't have to complain today. You don't have to try to over-control today. You don't have to carry the weight of the world today. You don't have to be insecure in any way today because the Lord reigns. God wants to carry our burdens. God wants to free us from sin. God wants to bring in truth. God wants to relieve stress. God wants to comfort us when we mourn. God is the one who is the source of joy. God forgives. These are the works of God. The kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Look at Romans chapter 14. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, eating and drinking is a blessing, it feels good. Do it every day, but that's not gonna bring a vibrant soul, it can't, Doritos can't. (laughs) Stuck on Doritos, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. We worship Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. God dwells within you when you put your trust in Jesus. You have a relationship with the Holy Spirit Well, what does that relationship look like? Isn't it interesting that the Holy Spirit comforts? Well, why does the Holy Spirit comfort? Because we get kind of down, don't we? Kind of downcast, anyone? The Holy Spirit comforts. Well, the Holy Spirit convicts. Why does the Holy Spirit convict? Because we go wayward. We got some bad attitudes. We got some sin in our lives. We need to grow. Holy Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit communicates. Why? Because we need to hear from God. Well, what else, the Holy Spirit guides, why? Because we get lost, we get confused. Sometimes we're not sure which way to go. Life's kind of perplexing, the Holy Spirit guides. Well, the Holy Spirit empowers, why? Because we're human and weak, we get tired, we get hungry. Like we just run out of strength, our tank is on empty. People emotionally exhaust us. Like we just have a lot of situations where it's like, we need your power, God. Isn't it interesting when you step back? It's almost like everything we need is exactly what the Holy Spirit gives us every day. It almost looks like a plan, doesn't it? It it almost looks like God made us in such a way that we intimately, fully, and desperately need the Holy Spirit in our marriages, our family life, our job, and our attitude, and how we handle money. It almost looks like we need God's spirit right now, right now. The church was dead until Pentecost. Well, what does the Holy Spirit do? Guides us into truth, align with Jesus. What are the lies? The world will tell you that you're at the center. Nothing is more important than you. The truth of the word says that God is at the center and you are loved and blessed by God, but life isn't gonna work well if you're at the center. Put God at the center and actually lay down your life. Well, the world says you earn and achieve and it's through performance. The word says your identity is in God's grace. That's where your identity is. The world says hoard and you'll be happy. Just get bigger and more of everything you like and the more you get and the more you acquire and the more you purchase, the happier you're going to be. Well, the word says, generosity is where the greatest joy is, not hoarding. The world says, play it safe, just be comfortable. All that really matters is that you stay comfortable until you get to heaven. Just play it safe, be comfortable. And God's word says, risk it all for his glory and the gospel. Do you see the difference between the world and the word? And the world comes into the church and the church is kind of drunk on the message of the world and not sure if we wanna go with the word or the world. Go with the word, go with the word, remove the lies. Sin has become more and more socially acceptable. Sins that were frowned upon 20 years ago, they're celebrated today. I could list a long list. What's going on in the world? Proverbs 8, 13 says this. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. Don't hate any person, but hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. Sin is not only doing the things we shouldn't do, but sin is also not doing the things that God's called us to do. There's commission, which is doing the wrong stuff. and Then there's omission, which is leaving out the great stuff God's called us to do. I think sometimes the church in America is like a sleeping giant, and we're just stepping into a small fraction of the opportunities and resources and capabilities that God has given to us, and it isn't easy to settle for less than what God offers. Settling for less. We need to get to a point where we say no to the status quo, and we say yes to all God has made us to do and be. When we say the Lord reigns, we come alive, and we say yes, not only to our citizenship in heaven, and you have a home, heaven is your home, but also we say yes to having earth become more like heaven. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, may it be done on earth as it is in heaven, when we pray that, from the Lord's Prayer, what we're saying is that God, we acknowledge you've made us a room full of priests and ambassadors. And part of our calling is the inheritance that's coming eternally, but part of it, God, is that you've called us to make earth more like heaven today. Great purpose, don't shrink it. You know, savor this closeness with God. That's Psalm 97, the Lord reigns, savor this closeness. Our kids were in Iowa this summer and they just savored. They savored Dairy Queen, several times. <laughs> they, they savored car races. They savored the water park. They savored the mini bikes in, in the grass in Iowa, in the Midwest, the grass fields. They savored grandpa's, grandma's pancakes. Like they were just savoring different things. They know when they go to Iowa, we're gonna start savoring these things. Stay in that same mode in your relationship with God. Just start to savor God's presence God's blessings start to thank him and then savor when other people start to get close to Jesus. Real simple, because life gets complicated, amen? I mean, you've got stuff right now in your family, your relationships, your finances, your job. You've got complicated stuff all around you and, and I'm not denying that it's complicated. You've got all sorts of complicated stuff. But in this psalm, it reminds us also of the simplicity we need that life is about drawing close to Jesus and then celebrating and being a part of other people drawing close to Jesus. When, when I was in my 20s and I was fighting for my life for a year and there were many years in the recovery during that time, when you don't have health in your 20s, like that brings you to God. And, and I was either gonna reject God or or I'm gonna listen to God. And I started to spend time in the Bible and read it and underline it, memorize it and read it and look at Jesus and his life and like, what is life all about and what's my purpose and what's my identity and where's my life going and all these major questions in my 20s. And so what I came from that is I'm gonna abide with Jesus and then as I study the life of Jesus and I look, I see that he's all about evangelism and discipleship. He's all about leading people to God and helping them grow in their faith. And I never thought I'd be a pastor, like this is just in the other years, like as a pastor, obviously I get to do that more in terms of hours, but for all of us, we want to live and love and lead like Jesus. And one of the lies that gets removed is that you can't or shouldn't or won't with evangelism and discipleship. And for whatever reason, you're distracted, whatever reason, the joy and the gladness in life is in changed lives. And it's when God is changing lives. God has invited you to be a part, to bless people locally and globally. There's this guy who sent me a text this week. His name's Brian. I was there. Brian came into the Lord. You know, I baptized Brian. Now Brian is growing. Brian is living like Jesus in so many ways. This picture here, this is Brian sending me a text with these pictures. He led this man to Jesus and then also baptized him this week. And it was the first person that Brian's been able to baptize. And I'm saying there's more joy in that picture than there is water in the pool. And all of Brian's emojis showed it in the text. How is Brian so alive? Because he's seeing God move and change other people's lives. Don't settle for less than abiding with Jesus. The Lord reigns. And then go to his throne of grace. Receive his mercy today align with heaven, step into that purpose and passion. There's no limits to what God can do and God is gonna do remarkable things in you and through you for his glory. He's gonna fill your soul and make it vibrant. Let's pray. God, thank you for the gift of your love and your presence. We worship you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I pray, God, for each person in this room for a deep relationship with the Holy Spirit sensitivity, trust, closeness, reassurance, conviction, empowering. God, we can't do it on principles and effort. We need your presence. There's refreshment in your presence. God, be glorified today. Just have your way. As you reflect on this message, the Lord reigns, what's your fill in the blank? Because the Lord reigns, what's your next step? Is it to put your trust in Jesus right now as your savior? or be baptized? It's talking to someone that said they wanna be baptized. Is it to go to Ukraine? Is it to go to Maui? Is it to serve your neighbor? Is it to get in the life group? Because God reigns, what's your fill in the blank? Is it to forgive someone? Because God reigns, how are you gonna respond today? What is God saying to you today? Because the Lord reigns, now you fill in that blank. That's your worship. That's your step of faith. That's your takeaway. The fact is the Lord does reign. That doesn't change. And because Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever, we respond. Because the Lord reigns, now you fill in that blank. Not the person next to you, It's for you. What is it?